Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, in episode one of series two, we will be discussing the Talis Access Management Index. The 2021 Talis Access Management Index is a global survey of 2,600 IT decision makers commissioned by Talis and conducted by 451 Research, part of SNP Global Market Intelligence. As COVID-19 quickly ushered in the era of remote work, introducing new risks that IT professionals are struggling to manage with existing security tools, according to a new Talis study. Six in ten respondents said that traditional security tools such as VPNs are still the primary vehicle for employees accessing applications remotely. Likely the reason why almost half were not confident that their access security systems could scale effectively to secure remote work. In this episode, I am delighted to introduce François Lanier, VP of Identity and Access Management at Thales, to talk through the key findings of the 2021 report. It is my pleasure to welcome you today, François. Welcome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Neha. I mean, my pleasure as well to, uh, to be able to, uh, to participate to this interview. Thank you. You're very welcome, François. So very exciting to have this new report with us today. So uh, let's dig into it a bit more. Why is there still such a lack of maturity in understanding and investing in access control technologies? Well, that's, uh, you know, I mean, to, to be honest with you, it's not a surprise, right? I mean, when I saw the, uh, the result of the, uh, the survey, um, I think, you know, we can always uh, debate and comment about uh, the pace of digital transformation happening in the, uh, in the enterprise. Uh, there is definitely a, a wide range, you know, of organizations that are moving at different pace, right? So it's all part of that digital transformation uh, that is underway. But the, um, the, the lack of maturity is also, I mean, lack of mind share and lack of bandwidth, right? I mean, we are dealing with many organizations that have day-to-day uh, -day priorities, especially on the uh, IT and security front. Uh, most of these organizations are in firefighting mode uh, due to, obviously, I mean, COVID that happened last year, uh, but ransomware, new threat vectors, all of that, right? So, um, so what we are finding out is that uh, big projects, right, uh, that are linked to digital transformation, such as, you know, zero trust concept and, uh, and access management, all of that, right, um, are, are definitely struggling to get priority and mind share compared to day-to-day -day priorities of uh, many of our customers, right? So, so I, I think that um, that's one of the reasons. The, the other, you know, I mean, challenge also, and, and uh, uh, there's definitely more data points, you know, in the, uh, the surveys around the, um, the weight of uh, legacy infrastructure. Uh, many of these organizations are dealing, you know, with uh, old legacy infrastructure and, and they have to maintain these at least because, uh, you know, they, uh, they are addressing at least, you know, uh, um, the, uh, they are the bare bone, I mean, sorry, the, the backbone, I would say, of most of, uh, of these organizations' infrastructure. 
so that that's delaying a little bit also i mean the um, the change of mindset required uh with uh you know uh, access management and zero trust concept right now on, on the other hand that that being said I think there's a lot happening as well to increase the level of awareness. Uh, just to give you an example, I mean, uh, the presidential directive, you know, in the U.S. Um, that was enacted, you know, uh, back in May, uh, you know, has, has really created a very, very strong level of awareness uh, beyond the government space, right? So a lot of organizations are paying attention uh, to now some of these directives. Uh, so that that's definitely going in the right direction, right? But but I hope that gives you some um, indication of why you know I mean this lack of maturity, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and you you mentioned uh, uh, zero trust uh, just now, and 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 we've been talking about zero trust quite a lot during uh, during series one. So uh, and you mentioned some of uh, the challenges, perhaps also driven by the pandemic. It has been a very unusual uh, two years. Um, but when we specifically mm-hmm. talk about the zero trust uh, uh, security, you mentioned one of the challenges maybe perhaps legacy infrastructures and other to to fight are there any other challenges in terms of uh, the adoption of uh, zero trust in in general because everyone in your report seems to be interested but but yet uh, um, uh, there's not much deployment yeah I think it starts obviously with awareness right so uh, a lot of people I would say even a year ago were probably not even aware right of uh, of, of, of zero trust. Uh, then, you know, it became kind of a, a buzzword, you know, overused to mean many different things. Uh, and it's only now that it's starting, you know, to uh, really get to the point where, where people understand the other uh, concepts behind it. Now, um, that, that being said, you know, uh, I think we, we all agree in the industry that uh, zero trust, you know, is not a solution, by the way. Right. I mean, zero trust is a new model, a new approach. Uh, and, and everybody, you know, including, by the way, the um, OMB, you know, the Office of Management and Budget in, in the U.S. Uh, that actually uh, wrote a report uh, following the uh, presidential directive, explained that it's going to be a long journey, right? So uh, no organization should assume that, hey, I, I like zero trust, I have interest in zero trust, so let's go ahead and implement it. That's not the way it's going to work, right? I mean, zero trust is a, a new security model. Uh, there are many, many pragmatic steps and small steps that can be taken to go in that direction. And for many organizations, it's going to be a long journey anyway. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, maybe the, another point I could indicate, you know, in terms of interest in zero trust, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the adoption be remaining low um, is that there has been also two different approach to zero trust. Right? I mean, one um, that is more network centric, you know, what we call uh, uh, zero trust network access, which is, uh, you know, a, a path that most of the network security providers are taking. Uh, and, and they are, you know, it's very much linked to how to uh, segment, you know, a network in, uh, infrastructure uh, through segment, I mean, micro segmentation of these infrastructure and so on and so forth. Uh, and then there is more of an identity centric uh, zero trust model. Uh, that we've been preaching, right? Which is uh, this decision based on, uh, on on identities, access decision based on identities. Um, and, and I think that at the beginning, there was maybe some confusion, you know, about uh, in the end, there are different approaches. So what does it mean, right? Me as an organization, what should I be doing? And we've seen more and more, you know, analyst report 
um, that have been clarifying this topic uh, to the benefit of the industry overall. Um, and, and there are some some of these reports. I mean, one actually was uh, was it's a research paper from Gartner uh, did a very good job at explaining how these two models are actually quite complementary, right? So meaning that actually a zero trust network access model can can definitely benefit you know from identity events. So it can feed from identity centric zero trust solutions and vice versa. Uh, identity centric solution can also feed you know from uh, uh, intelligence standpoint from the uh, network level events uh, to base uh, to 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 be able to take more granular uh, access decisions. Right. So so the two models are, are no more. I mean you know perceived at least. Uh, by the industry as conflicting models, uh, they are really perceived as complementary models, and and that should also benefit you know um, the whole industry because uh, customers are, are going to eventually understand uh, the benefits of both approach. Right. Thank you, Francois. And and I think that the difference between the the two models needed to be explained. So uh, so thank you for that. So you you just mentioned that embarking. In such a venture, it's pretty much uh, similar to what everyone's been going through over the past two years when they're saying we want to do digital transformation. So we now have a new model and a new approach. And it's very much a journey, which essentially is a, is a quite a large change program for organization. So bearing in mind that we've got you know two models that are complementary and we want to deploy this now that not that we are there and we're becoming more and more digital. Have you got any advice for us in terms of what are the key areas that businesses should prioritize first in order to address the challenges created by uh, the situation we're in? Yeah, I mean, I can give it a try at least, right? I mean, at at, um, at a high level, I would say uh, everything that has been happening, right? Whether we talk about COVID or the new waves of uh, ransomware, and uh, I think all that is a good opportunity for uh, many organizations to uh, challenge a little bit their model and rethink, you know, uh, not only in the context, you know, of these events, but but give themselves the opportunity to st- take a step back and look at what type of organizations, especially from an IT standpoint, they want to become for the next uh, 10, 20 years, right? Uh, because I think what COVID also has, uh, has really highlighted is uh, there's been significant changes in work habits, right? Um, in, in terms of how employees are, are connecting to the enterprise from where, uh, how they want to be able to work as well and access, you know, I mean, enterprise resources, uh, they, they want flexibility, you know, in terms of uh, devices that they can use to access these um, these applications and so on and so forth, right? So there's been a profound um, uh, sociological impact in terms of redefining the uh, the workplace, right? And uh, so this is really an opportunity now for organizations to uh, rethink uh, the whole model that they have in that context, right? And um, and, and and when you start doing that. Then you, you clearly, you know, I mean, start also to appreciate the value that models such as zero trust bring, right? Because they are not just a new security model. They are also new philosophy, new approach that really enable a full flexible enterprise, right? And, and a modern workspace. In the, in especially one of the main benefits, you know, I, I keep um, uh, indicating to, uh, to my customers is the fact that the, the main benefit is um, 
companies don't need to plan security based on where applications reside, right? So current security models, for instance, you know, are, are, are very static depending on whether an application resides on-premise, you know, within the, uh, uh, the boundary of the uh, uh, enterprise perimeter, or whether this, the application resides in a private cloud, or whether the application is actually a, a SaaS, you know, I mean, an as-a-service delivered application in the cloud. So depending on where applications reside, the current security models are very rigid, right? You need to say, okay, if my application is on-premise, then I'm going to protect it through my VPN, right? If my application is in the private cloud, I'm going to use eventually, you know, uh, some form of uh, zero trust network access uh, uh, solution, right? If my application is in the cloud, then I'm going to try to rely on the cloud vendor to provide, you know, some of the access control, right? So it's very rigid and very uh, uh, heterogeneous as well, right? Meaning you don't have actually uh, central uh, uh, access policies. And, and the, uh, the main benefit of a, a zero trust model is that you create an abstraction layer, meaning now you can define policies, global policies, irrespective of where application and resources that you're trying to protect are. And I think this is very empowering, right? When, when customers start realizing that, how you know, beneficial it will be not only from a security standpoint, but from a manageability standpoint and from a flexibility standpoint, that's already opened you know, a lot of eyes. Because now companies can, can start, you know, thinking about, hey, I, I may have an application that today is on-premise or in my private cloud, but two or three years from now, that application may actually migrate, you know, to a public cloud application. And, and the fact that I, if I had taken a, a zero-trust model um, approach, uh, I, I will not have to completely redefine, you know, my security posture when that migration happens is a huge benefit, right? It's going to simplify my life. It's going to, you know, reduce the, the threat uh, vectors. It's, it's going to make it seamless, you know, for my end users because, you know, they are going to be able to access these applications transparently with no change, you know, of user experience. So there are a lot of tangible benefits beyond security um, that this can create, right? So, so clearly, I think my main advice is, is for organizations not to look at it in reactive mode, right, and, and look at it as, kind of an impediment or as, as an annoyance, right? But more as an opportunity to redefine how their organizations are going to be ready for the next 10 to 20 years, right? And, and ready not just from a security standpoint, but from a workplace standpoint, right? Absolutely. That, that's fascinating. In fact, there was a very interesting uh, set of results in, uh, in the Thales Access Management Index suggesting that the multi-factor authentication is used more by users of cloud application than those on-premise which is interesting looking at what uh, you've you've just uh, de described right now um and uh, and it feels like perhaps it seems to to gel with what we were saying earlier on about perhaps legacy infrastructures and you've just described some ways in which uh, organization can can look at the deployment of zero trust in in general uh, as a, as an approach and a philosophy rather than a, than a set of technology and to be able to engineer processes so uh, so suggesting perhaps that uh, uh, because that suggests dis disparate processes as you've just mentioned to me so do you think this will have an effect on on insider threats in general perhaps 
Yeah, and, and I think, to, to be honest, I mean, that part of the survey that, that you mentioned, right, um, which is uh, MFA is, more, is, is used more, you know, for cloud application than for on-premise applications, uh, surprised me, right? So that's why we, we, we have to eventually look beyond just the, um, the, the raw response data, because at the end of the day, I mean, uh, the, the main use case, you know, for MFA has, has been, you know, um, VPN access, right, which is uh, one way of uh, protecting remote access. But on the other hand, it illustrates an important fact, again, an important point that I, I made around the concept of zero trust versus perimeter you know, security, is that typically how companies have been protecting their on-premise resources has been through a VPN, right? So that's what we call perimeter security because you, you try then to, uh, you know, I mean, identify, authenticate the user uh, as they, they come from outside to inside the organization, right? But then after they, once they're inside and once you've, you've been authenticating them, uh, then they, they have access to everything, right? So everything inside the organization. So there's, there's no additional, you know, I mean, control points beyond the VPN. And, and that's, a, that's a big, big challenge, right, of, uh, of perimeter security. Uh, the, the other point, by the way, in that response, which is insider threat, right? Um, the accessing, you know, I mean, threat against uh, on-premise applications uh, is not an insider threat uh, versus, you know, outsider threat uh, discussion because at the end of the day, you know, you can have an insider that will also try to attack, you know, I mean, or access uh, uh, resources or applications that are outside, you know, I mean, that are in the cloud. Uh, and, and I think that th there is a big misconception as well that, um, in, insider threat, you know, I mean, is the uh, the biggest uh, attack vector. Uh, the, the 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 biggest actually insider threat is coming from outside through what we call identity theft, right? So the concept of stealing, you know, a credential like a username and password um, from an outsider, but then using that credential to actually by bypass or actually go through all the other security control points is the biggest threat vector. And, and this is a very difficult one to address with perimeter-based defense because if someone is using a stolen credential, right, then that means that that person is going to behave and be, is going to be perceived by all the security uh, control points of the organization as an insider, right? Because, uh, hey, this is a valid credential, right? So to me as an organization, that credential looks like it's coming from a, a valid employee or valid user. Even so, you know, I mean, that's a stolen credential, right? So this is one of the main challenge also about uh, perimeter-based defense, right? Meaning that if you do not keep looking and assessing what users are doing beyond, you know, I mean, uh, the perimeter, uh, then then you're making yourself, you know, potentially vulnerable to um, to this type of uh, of attack. So, so to me. Um, the, the biggest issue here is is twofold. I mean, the first one is perimeter defense versus you know zero trust based approach. Uh, basically, I mean access control solutions that are uh, basically uh, taking decisions in front of each application, right? So meaning even if an employee has been authenticated once, then you keep monitoring, you know, I mean the the context. So you, you keep looking at what the employee is doing, what device is using, where is he connecting from, at what time, and take that into account, you know, each time that employee is trying to access resources. That's the best, you know, measure you can have against insider threat or including ID theft in this case, right? 
The, the other, I think, challenge that we are finding out uh, through the survey uh, is the level of uh, uh, MFA or authentication adoption, right? Because many organizations, I mean, most organizations will tell you, I have multi-factor authentication. Actually, we found, you know, that I think it was 62% of organizations um, say that they already have multi-factor authentication. But in reality, if, if we dig a little bit de deeper, uh, there, there are two issues with that statement. The first one is that many of these organizations that have MFA uh, typically use two, three, sometimes even four, you know, different authentication methods. So they are deployed in silo. Uh, they are point solutions to very specific uh, use case. So between these different solutions, there are gaps in coverage, right? Um, and then the other challenge uh, is the fact that uh, most of these organizations that have deployed MFA have significant gap in coverage, meaning they have applied MFA for VPN, for instance, um, but there are many other resources that are not within the scope of these solutions. And, and more importantly, uh, what we found actually in the survey is that many of these organizations have no more than 50% of their population covered by their MFA solution. So meaning that uh, there are, you know, I mean, uh, some category of users that are, uh, that are under the scope of these MFA solutions, but there are many other users, uh, whether these users are external users like contractors and suppliers, uh, uh, or whether these uh, users are in, in manufacturing, for instance. We find that many manufacturing companies um, uh, have absolutely no MFA in place for you know, any manufacturing workers right, that are accessing kiosks and workstations. There's no MFA in place for this type of population. And these, these gaps in coverage create huge vulnerabilities, right? So, um, so I think that's why we have to be very cautious about uh, how MFA is being applied in these organizations, how much you know, is, is covered, how many solutions are they using? Do they have actually you know, the ability to have global policies in order to increase coverage? These are the important topics that we need to talk about when, um, when, when we hear about uh, MFA deployment. Oh, absolutely. Disparity of, uh, of deployment. In fact, that's really uh, interesting that you should mention manufacturing just, just now with manufacturing employees on the floor not having MFA yet. They are the ones who are actually using industrial control systems. So uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem to, uh, to make sense. Especially in the context of ransomware, you know, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, systems that are very vulnerable, yeah. So we've we've learned a lot of security lessons during the during the pandemic, and uh, and perhaps I mean suggesting listening to you, Francois. Uh, perhaps we we need to uh, uh, to to warn security strategists, so to speak, because uh, the world is moving very fast, and criminals indeed innovate very fast as well. Um, and uh, so what advice would you give to those security strategists in terms to increasing their, the agility of their security controls? You've given us a, a lot of tips just now, but uh, what is your uh, advice for businesses, you know, starting on their journey, so to speak? Well, um, I, I think that uh, clearly uh, the, the, probably the biggest advice, right, is um, not wait until uh, you have the magic plan that is going to address all the problems, right? I, I think that, you know, I, I've, I've always mentioned avoid the all or nothing or everything at once, right? Because these are, are fallacies, right? If you think that you'll be able to say, hey, you know, okay, we are going to develop the super plan and we want to do it all at once. Uh, 
um, then, then that's never going to work, right? Uh, I think all what we've been talking about here can be done and should be done in a very pragmatic manner. There are things, there are low-hanging fruits, there are things that can be done today, tomorrow, um, that, take, that can take you know, our customers in, in, in that journey. And, and I think recognizing that is, is a very important piece of the equation because um, otherwise a lot of organizations are overwhelmed eventually by this new concept, right? Zero trust, granular access policies, all of that, right? Um, so they, most of them are like deer, deer in the headlights, right? Uh, frozen because they have to deal with day-to-day -day priorities and, uh, and, and, and engaging, you know, into uh, this type of approach or journey that can be very, very complex, could be overwhelming. So, so really, I mean, the main recommendation is that it doesn't have to be like that, right? It, 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 the only way it can be done is actually step-by-step. Uh, and, and, and working, you know, through the, uh, the simple use case that can be uh, easily migrated to the new model, right? Uh, and, and typically, I mean, examples that we give is that you can already, you know, I mean, today or tomorrow start, you know, identifying. So you, catalog, you do a catalog, you know, of all your applications and, and, and resources, um, define priorities based obviously on, uh, on, on risk level, and then you can start planning, you know, for for a few of these applications that are on top of the list, especially if they are cloud applications, move move the, the the security control, you know, to a modern access management solution. That's something that can be done, you know, I mean, in 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 the first step, and then over time, you know, you start thinking about okay, what are the on-premise applications eventually that need to change, uh, that need to be migrated at least, you know, from their existing SSO, for instance, to a modern access management solution, right? So there's a lot of you know, pragmatic uh, planning steps that can be done. Um, the, the other thing, on the other hand, that we uncovered, not just through the survey, but through um, discussions with customers, that, that is um, uh, a mental challenge as well when we talk about uh, more MFA, more granular policies, and so on, is the, um, the, uh, the concern uh, about having user pushback, right? So there is, in the mind of many of our customers, Access management, zero trust means more control, which means more friction for end users, which means a lot of end user pushback, right? People are going to resign if we implement these solutions, right? That's the, uh, the, free, the fear or anxiety that we can hear, you know, with um, uh, security, uh, uh, security uh, uh, people in, in these organizations. And, and I think that this is the, another misconception, right? And, and this, for us, it had a big impact in, in how we also position and explain our offer because the main benefit, actually, of the solutions that we are talking about, right, uh, access management, modern access management solution, is the, the, um, the, the, the huge positive impact on, on end user experience. Because as you are now, you know, centralizing many of these access policies, and now you also have better visibility of what users are doing, you can actually take a lot of decisions of not authenticating users as they move along, as, as long as, again, the, um, the trust and, and the, uh, the, the confidence in that user remains high, right? So one of the main benefits is that you can, you can basically hide as much as possible any authentication step when you rely on this type of solution, as opposed to having fragmented approach you know, to um, MFA and security creates a lot of friction because each time a user crosses a boundary, they have to be re-authenticated. And that, you know, I mean, creates bad user experience. So, so we are really, you know, I mean, uh, trying to, um, to, uh, to fight that misconception that 
these modern solutions are going to create friction. It's the contrary, right? I mean, it's definitely uh, uh, not the case. And then the, the last point I would like to make is, uh, and, and for us as a vendor, it's important also to recognize, is the uh, organ organizational challenges that the modern enterprise are creating. Um, because IT organizations, you know, and the way, by the way, uh, IT is managed in many organizations is built again on the old model where everything that is central IT is managed by IT, right? Uh, and, it were in, in, in all applications used to be part of IT management, uh, you know, up to 10 years ago. And, and the reality is now um, many business organizations within these customers uh, are managing, you know, their own applications directly, not under the control of IT, right? So uh, you may have a sales organization that has deployed, you know, Salesforce.com. They have an, a Salesforce admin within the sales organization, you know, or sales ops that is going to manage users uh, and, and, and username and password, for instance, and so on, outside the control of IT. And, and when we bring solutions to the table here, talking about global access policies, continuous authentication, and so on, um, we, we have to recognize the fact that many IT organizations don't own these applications anymore. And they don't even know how to set policies for these applications because they are not the owners of these applications. So for instance, how do I know what, other, what is the right behavior of a Salesforce.com user, right? Because I don't manage the application. I don't know who is accessing it. I don't know what type of you know, access right we should give to these users, right? Because this is managed completely outside my IT organization, right? So when we bring tools and solutions that give these this control points, then current IT organizations are struggling you know, to even make use of them, right? So this is, this is something that, um, uh, you know, as a vendor, we, we are adapting to as well, because we are trying now also to provide different level of, uh, of policy setting, right? Some that can be centrally managed uh, by IT administrators and some that can actually man be managed directly by business, uh, business owners. Um, so it really shows, again, that, you know, uh, the, the whole landscape is evolving. It's not just about technology. It's about change of workplace. And it's a change also of organizations within these um, these companies that uh, need different type of solutions, right? Thank you, Francois. That was that was fascinating. And uh, and as in many things in our industry, uh, it's about uh, adaptive, pragmatic risk management. At the end of the day, I think Francois, you have been a fantastic guest. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Thank you very much uh, for listening. You have been listening to episode one of series two of the Thales Security Session podcast. And today we were discussing the Thales Access Management Index. Love this episode of the Thales Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talasgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening. <laughs>